0: How you doing hey I'm good 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 to see you good to see you too all right <clears throat> thanks for having me oh no totally thanks for joining us man where this is awesome okay let's see get these questions pulled up you having an okay day so far yeah pretty good you yeah man totally now remind me where are you at I'm in, we're in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is about uh, 20, 30 minutes from Charlotte. Gotcha. Okay. Are you on the West Coast, like or not, or no? No, I'm in Kentucky. Oh, okay. So I'm guessing about about a, what seven, eight hour drive or so. Uh,
1: from yeah, from there, yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, trying to, I guess probably Myrtle Beach is that close to you? We're about
0: three hours away. Okay. Okay. Cool, you yeah, know, definitely appreciate you coming on. I, I literally just got off an interview with uh, the Green Party presidential candidate Howie Hawkins. Oh, Okay, good. Yeah, actually, um, after this interview, the only person I haven't had on my show so far, I want to get um, Joe Jorgensen, the Libertarian uh, presidential candidate. But I've had obviously I've had Mark on, um, and I've had Howie and his VP pick on. Um, I've had and I've had Spike uh, on too, so. I'm trying, really? I'm trying to make sure you all, every single one of you, get an opportunity to get your message out there, man, because it's really important.
1: Yeah, no, we appreciate it. So, okay.
0: Well, if you're ready to roll, I am. So now remind me, is this, uh, are we going live or are you recording? We're recording this. It's going to go on our site, and once everything's all all set up, um, I'll let SA know, and uh, it'll be on rockhillvideo.com. Okay, gotcha. So, all right. Rock Hill and the world. Good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on what time you're watching this. I'm Chris Corrado, the host of Rock Hill Video. Uh, Today we have on Adrian Wallace. He is running as the the VP pick uh, for Mark Charles, The Independent. As I always like to say at the beginning of every single show, when we bring our guests on, we don't bring anybody on to bash them or praise them. Everyone has an equal opportunity to talk about the issues, how they feel, and how they like to move forward. So, Adrian, thank you so much for coming on our show.
1: Hey, Chris, I appreciate it. Thanks
0: for the invite. Absolutely. No problem. No problem. So what would you like to share about yourself, whether it be uh, your background, personal life, work life?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm from Lexington, Kentucky, uh, home of the Big Blue Nation. (laughs) Go Wildcats. Of course, uh, we're not enjoying any sports uh, as of yet. course and I actually don't think that uh, we should at all this fall, but we can probably talk about that a little bit later uh, in the interview, but um, born and raised here in Lexington, lived in Alabama for about four years during high school, came back, um, joined uh, the military after my first year of college. I served for seven years um, as a recruiter a lot of that time. I deployed to Baghdad from 2006 to 2008 in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and um, Came back and worked as a recruiter for a while. Then ended up getting into ministry, which is actually how I met Mark initially uh, through the CCVA. It's a uh, community development organization that's um, really powerful, based out of Chicago. And he served on the board of directors. And he actually gave the opening plenary session uh, in 2015 at the immersion program that I was going through. And uh, it just really resonated with me. And I've been quoting him ever since. Uh, I actually hit him up on Facebook and said, hey, do you mind if I uh, quote you? Uh, I've got a, a public speaking event, and I want to uh, kind of basically just steal your speech on the Doctrine of Discovery, and so he said yes, and you know we've stayed in touch over, over the years, but when I saw that he was running for president, uh, I wanted to get behind him, and so I joined the, the team as the campaign manager, and uh, then uh, down the road he didn't ask me to be VP, and so uh, I'm very grateful and honored to be here, and uh, again, thank you for the opportunity uh, to come and share our message a little
0: Oh, it's definitely my pleasure, and thank you for your service in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Not a problem. Not a problem. So, um, you know, you're you're on the independent ticket. And what is your party about? Like, what are you and uh, Mark working on that might be different or better than, say, other candidates running?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the main difference between uh, us and the Democratic uh, nominees or the Republican nominees or any of the other independent or third party candidates uh, and tickets would be the fact that nobody else has a platform uh, of eliminating the white supremacy, the sexism, and the racism from the Constitution to make sure that this country finally, truly means we uh, all the people uh, where it says we the people in the Constitution. It never refers to uh, women at all in the Constitution. It doesn't uh, uh, refer or refers to native peoples, indigenous peoples, uh, as savages, and it counts me as three-fifths of a person. And so, and then therefore, uh, it's in the 13th Amendment, channel slavery was ended, but uh, the majority of my brothers that look like me, uh, in fact, 25% of all black men have been incarcerated, but not currently incarcerated, and have, have lost their right to vote. And so uh, we have a, a lot of issues in this country that we've got to reckon with, and no other presidential candidate uh, or team or ticket uh, is talking about or will be willing to deal with the issues that mark and i are
0: running on okay thank you adrian um, what else can you tell us that you and mark are working on anything else specific you wanted to share yeah you know
1: um the, the biggest thing is is that um we have talked a lot about a lot of the policy uh platform pieces that we would delve into once we got to the white house because we'd have a full cabinet one of the issues is is that the system and the structure is set up we don't have a full team. We don't have people lining up, uh, to, to be our policy experts because they're sold out to the two party system. Um, and I, and I won't lie myself. I'm a Democrat. Um, and I've run in in a nonpartisan race in the past and will probably run as a Democrat in the future. Uh, if we aren't lucky enough to, to make it to the white house, but, uh, we, we have some very serious issues with inside the two party system and inside the democratic party. And, um, so the point is, is when it comes to policy, we have uh, a philosophical and foundational level view and platform of, of where we stand on uh, many of the issues, from the economy to the military to the budget uh, to, to reproductive rights and so on and so forth. But many of the things that we will get down into specifics on, um, we we have been kind of shut out of that of that conversation. And so um, the bottom line is, is what we want to do creates systemic foundational level change um, that it would only, only can be done by editing the Constitution that uh, will only be done by having a, a truth and conciliation uh, Commission uh, much like has been done in South Africa and other places because uh, we have never reckoned with uh, stealing this land from the native peoples you're right, right? this land wasn't discovered uh, it was already inhabited it was colonized it was conquered and so uh, we are the only, again, team talking about issues, uh, the issues of land titles. We're the only campaign that would be willing to talk about uh, reparations for slavery and and how do we move forward after uh, 240 years of slavery and and free labor, uh, and then Jim Crow and all the other issues that plague the black community. And so um, we're really excited about uh, our message. Uh, We're excited about the support that we've seen across the nation. And uh, we're just working really hard to to build that up over the next 53 days.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, Back in uh, March, you know, we learned about the coronavirus and uh, COVID-19. And, you know, everyone has their different opinions on it and thoughts. You know, some feel, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. And everywhere, you know, it's a global pandemic. So what are your thoughts on it? And how would you and Mark handle it?
1: Yeah, you know, the sad part is, is it's really become a political football. Um, the left, if you have a state with a Democratic governor, um, then there's mass mandates. They're, 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 from the beginning, there's been uh, closures of, 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 of events with large gatherings. And uh, there's been warnings that, that we're truly in the midst of a global pandemic. But then sadly, you have a lot of gop led states that um, have been deniers to a certain degree. They followed in President Trump's footsteps and uh, have, have not been wearing masks. And you've seen a spike in many of those states. Um, so you also have, have this sad uh, talking point of the coronavirus isn't any worse than the flu and that the flu kills more people every year or just as many people as the coronavirus. Well, it's just, it's just not true. I mean, the fact is, is that uh, the coronavirus pandemic in a single year has killed more than uh, any flu season since uh, 1916. And um, we have made the tough decision as a campaign to to be to do what we think is the most responsible decision and not hold any, to hold zero in-person campaign events uh, just so we can keep Americans safe. And uh, I think that the number one issue is we just don't have leadership. Uh, we haven't had leaders tell us that this was, we were going to need long-term solutions. We know that uh, there's no vaccine in sight and there was no reason to tell us that it would only be a, a month or two and, and that everything would go back to normal when there was no vaccine to be had this year. And so uh, I, I think, number one, we just need true leadership. And we need to make sure that we uh, get rid of the divisive talking points coming from the left and the right and, and, and make it about people. I always tell folks, you know, I'm not a politician. Mark's not a politician. We're public servants. And uh, that's what we need right now in, in a leader to truly get us through this global pandemic.
0: Thank you. Um, what I wanted to talk about next was, that, you know, aside from what we just talked about that we see on the news every day, definitely a lot of Americans we see that there's a rise in uh, racial tensions, and just wanted to hear what your thoughts on that are, and how how, how would we improve race relations?
1: Yeah, you know, the, the the sad issue is again, as I was saying, you know, this country has never dealt with uh, our moral debts, the moral debt of again uh, con- conquering and colonizing this nation that was not to be discovered, there were people here, right? And then um, having people brought from uh, Africa to, to, to work the fields uh, through free labor, that the, this economy, the GDP, was based on this, this free labor. And uh, after uh, that, then having those people subjected to uh, dehumanizing laws that has kept the black community from ever gaining any type of, of wealth. Black people in America right now own one half of one percent of the wealth of this nation. So it's it's no it's no surprise that we have uh, very few black leaders or black officials and uh, in, in high elected offices. It's very it's no surprise that we have uh, no neither one of the main parties as a candidate for president uh, uh, most years. Right, uh, uh, President Obama. Was an anomaly. It was certainly not uh, the, the the new standard. And uh, there's a great book by Tim Wise called uh, "Between Barack and a Hard Place," and he talks about the fact that um, Barack Obama represents what we call racism 2.0, because if you can be raised in a white culture as a person of color, uh, you know raised by white people with their resources and support systems. If you can go to the best colleges, um, then maybe you could have a a chance of being president. But that's not the story, not the case for most uh, African-American boys and and young men. And so uh, we have a lot of work to do in in this nation. And um, when we look at the cries uh, that Black Lives Matter across our nation, uh, you have to ask the, the question, well, why do they have to say and state that Black Lives Matter? Well, it's because to America, black lives obviously don't matter. Based on our policies and our practices and our, our, our regulations, based on our history, it's obvious that black lives don't matter. It's obvious that native and indigenous lives don't matter. Um, and so we have a lot of work to do. And that's one of the, 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 the main priorities of this conciliation, this truth and conciliation commission that we would uh, put in place uh, within our first 100 days in office because um, we're going to keep seeing the injustices that exist. We're going to keep seeing police brutality uh, because we have an unjust justice system. And we have not, we've never had a leader to do anything about it. Um, even under a black president, Barack Obama, uh, Trayvon Martin and Jameer Rice were killed at the Justice Department, uh, did little to nothing to, to, to rec- rec- reconcile and, and, and deal with our uh, corrupt Police departments across the nation, and so again, I believe that it's going to take foundational, systemic change uh, to fix our issues, uh, every issue, including race relations. And uh, marking out the, the the candidates to do that.
0: Okay, thank you, Adrian. Um, this is uh, something we're hearing a lot more about now, as of late, is um, mail-in voting. You know, once again, you have two totally different sides of the you know of the equation. Some say, you know, it's it, not much manipulation, if any, is going to occur all the way to, it could change the dynamic of, of the presidential race. So what do you think about mail-in voting? You know, that's a
1: very great question. We actually, uh, here in Kentucky, um, for the primary election this year, we had mail-in voting. Um, and the coronavirus was a, a, a reasonable cause that you could request a mail-in ballot. In times past, you would have had to say that you were going to be out of the county or, or one of those other uh, reasons. And so. They, they made the decision to allow for mail-in voting and it worked really well for the most part. Um, I, I believe that there were some restrictions and barriers put in place that shouldn't have been, uh, you know, having to put the signatures on two different envelopes and making sure those were sealed and making sure flaps weren't torn off. I mean, it just really seemed like a very restrictive uh, rules that almost uh, allude to voter suppression. However, uh, I believe all in all it worked well and here in kentucky the uh, republican secretary of state worked with our democratic governor to decide that um, we can not only have early voting starting um two to three weeks before election day in person at our county clerk's offices uh, but we also have mail-in voting and i believe that that's what it's going to take to make sure that we keep the most folks uh especially the most vulnerable safe during this pandemic so i do believe that mail-in voting is is a great idea i believe that we can do it safely that there is uh, just as much faith in mail-in, mail-in voting uh, as there would be in person. Uh, I don't think we have to worry about anybody tampering with our ballots. And um, I believe that what President Trump has done to, to fight against the Postal Service and and try to, I think, limit and, and harm mail-in voting uh, is a travesty. And, of course, it's uh, another shuttle of the reason why he is inept as a leader.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Next, uh, No problem. No problem. Uh, One of the major things we hear about every single election season is the economy. You know, everyone talks about how they're going to make the economy better. How will you all make the economy better? How will you improve it?
1: You know, that's a great question, too. You know, the number one issue is is that we live in an economy, we live in a country that produces billionaires. You know, I mean, you have uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. Their profits have gone up billions of dollars their personal wealth, excuse me, has gone up billions of dollars during the pandemic. Uh, that's just, it's shameful that we could live in a nation where that's even possible. When we have uh, millions of people potentially facing eviction. When we have people uh, unsheltered and living on the streets. So number one is, is we would get to a foundational level and create a new economy where uh, Billionaires can't be created. Uh, we don't need to talk about taxing the wealthy and taxing the rich because there's no reason why there should be that large of an income gap in the first place. Uh, and so that's that's where we stand on the economy. Uh, then also, I, I believe that it's important to focus on small businesses. You know, even within our, our current system, our current leaders, both Democrats and Republicans, focus entirely too much on corporate America, uh, on, on Wall Street. We've got to make sure that um, we are giving bailouts to small business owners. Uh, small businesses account for 64% of new job creation every year. But you don't see those types of dollars going into small businesses and entrepreneurs. So what we need is entrepreneur and small business centric policies. We need to make sure that both on local, state and federal levels, um, that we are focused on small business owners, making sure that they're able to survive This this global pandemic, rather than giving hundreds of millions of dollars to some of these large corporations, we see the the airlines, they receive trillions of dollars in the form of a bailout and they're still laying off people. But that's the exact type of thing that happens in the unjust economy and this capitalist system that we we have in the United States. And so, uh, again, when we get to a foundational level where we truly value all people and where uh, we the people truly means all the people, then that type of a system and a type of economy won't exist.
0: Thank you. Um, of course, aside from the economy, you're, you're always going to hear um, those running for office or trying to get reelected. I'm going to talk about making um, health care more affordable. Totally different ideas. Yeah. People, some people have. Some people you know want uh, Medicare for all. Some want to continue to keep it private. How would you all make it more affordable?
1: Yeah, you know, that's probably one of those issues that uh, I would, when I was talking earlier about not having policy experts on hand. Uh, it's really hard to come down and put your finger on a definitive policy without being able to bring all of the, the, the experts into the room, especially from the medical field, and discuss those things. Um, but I do know that there's entirely too much money involved. And that's, I think, number one, right? From the doctors that I work with, I actually served on an um, institutional review board here in Lexington at our, the University of Kentucky. Um, and uh, it's in the medical field to make sure that we protect human subjects. And one of the main things I often look for is who's commissioning the study, who's commissioning this research on our human subjects. And far too often it's uh, publicly traded pharmaceutical companies. Um, And that, I believe, is one of our major issues. Most of the doctors that I speak to, they agree that uh, malpractice insurance, uh, health insurance, or publicly traded uh, healthcare insurance companies, the fact that they can't uh, compete across state lines. You have, you have all these intricacies that makes it uh, not affordable. And so without being at a table with, with policy experts, you know, uh, not going too far in depth, I, I, what I can say is, is that healthcare care should be a human right and that we have to make sure and ensure that everybody can be seen uh, that, that, that needs medication, that, that needs service, Um, and that comes back down to our foundational value for life that it shouldn't be about cost it shouldn't be about how wealthy you are uh, that that would determine whether or not you could live and um, I believe you know I know that Mark feels the same way and we would be excited to to get into the White House to make sure that we could truly uh, make sure that health care would be available to all and do it in a way that, that people still have quality health insurance I realize that People have very real concerns that their their uh, health uh, care, the quality of that would be diminished. Uh, you hear about other countries maybe where it's not as good as, as ours is for some people, but we would make sure that we do it in a way that's quality and that's also equitable.
0: Got it, thank you. Next thing I wanna talk about is also another, another hot button, uh, guns, you know, you'll hear all different types of opinions and thoughts, you know, about what people should and shouldn't be able to own, what they need and what they don't need. So what, what is your stance on firearms and what, how we could figure out something to where you know people are, are concerned when, say, there's a school shooting or, or something like that? What would you like to share on that?
1: Yeah, um, so first I'll just start by saying that I'm a gun owner. Uh, you know, I'm a military veteran. Uh, I, I enjoy my weapons. Uh, and I, I believe them necessary uh, to protect my home. You know, this, there's a lot of people in this world, sadly, who uh, would wish harm uh, on people for whatever reasons, whatever would be it, race, hate, uh, or, or, or theft, right? Uh, and, and then you get down to those issues where you talk about, well, why are our crime levels so high? It's abject poverty. It's the fact that we, we need to fix the economy, right? And so, there's so many things that are, that are interconnected. Um, but but I am a gun owner I believe in being able to have guns however um, I don't believe that uh, that it should necessarily be a right I believe that it should be a privilege that that, that uh, responsible gun owners have um, and when the debate comes to the second amendment, you know, again, having been in the military, I actually served in the Army National Guard and the Army National Guard is actually the oldest military organization in the nation, um 1619, I think 1616. It's been a while, uh, but we were the militia. We were citizen soldiers, people who worked everyday jobs and were called upon to go and protect uh, their states. And that is the reason why we see in the Second uh, Second Amendment. It says a well-regulated militia, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep a bear arms shall not be infringed. Now uh people like to argue and separate those terms and say the right of the people to keep bare arms shown, shown won't be a friend uh and friends but i think that it's most important that we go back to the first part where the regulation is in place and it says a well-regulated militia well first of all the militia that i served in we didn't get to just have uh whatever weapons we wanted uh we were issued weapons and we were issued those weapons when we needed them and in fact We we would be issued a weapon, but we still weren't issued ammunition until it was time uh, to go and and do a mission. And so uh, I think that the Second Amendment needs to truly be looked at. I I think that's something that Mark and I would certainly uh, foundationally believe that we have to uh, amend and edit within the Constitution. You know, there's entirely too much gun violence um, within our communities, but there's also entirely too many domestic terrorists with high-powered rifles going into uh, schools and, and and events, murdering innocent people, um, and so you know, what can we do when it comes to regulating even the type of magazines and capacity and and the availability of weapons? Those are all things that we would have to, to truly look at. But foundationally, I think we have to look at the Second Amendment as a starting point.
0: Got it. Thank you. Um, next thing I want to talk about is you know, since you did serve in the military. You know, everyone has different, once again, different opinions, thoughts on, you know, how much funding the military should get and when we should use the military. What would you like to share about that?
1: Well, you know, it's uh, very uh, appropriate that, that, that we're having this conversation today on 9-11. We, Mark and I actually just uh, make, gave remarks this morning. Um, yeah. Saw, saw that, that FDNY. Um, you know, and we honor our, our uh, fellow countrymen. And our families, those who who passed away on that day, the families that that they left behind, um, certainly the the first responders, and and then my brothers and sisters in arms, but both those who have served and are still serving. Um, And I'm proud of my military service. However, President Eisenhower warned us against the military-industrial complex, and we have a lot of work to do. Uh, 15% of our entire budget uh, goes straight to defense. And that's 50% of the discretionary spending. Uh, It's entirely too much money. You have talking heads on the right uh, always saying that social welfare programs uh, and safety net programs need to be cut, but truly what needs to be cut is the military. And I'll give you one tangible example. Um, Just what I was talking about with being recruiters. Um, As a citizen soldiers in the national guard, we work regular jobs. We actually contribute to the tax base. And we're, and, we, and we're mobilized when we're needed, when we're called upon. I believe that that's a much better model than having such a large, robust standing military. I believe we can do it, be, do it more efficiently and effectively with that uh, National Guard and, and reservists, um, so that not only are they still contributing to GDP and it's not as large of a strain on, on, on the tax base, but then uh, we can begin to consolidate and, and, and pull back some on the military industrial complex. Uh, it's big business, and a lot of these companies that have large military contracts, billions of dollars every year, uh, are padding the pockets of our current uh, members of Congress. And so certainly they're not going to fix it, and so we need leadership, true leadership in the White House that will do so, and, and Mark and I will certainly do that.
0: Great, great. I also want to talk about, and you have sure so you've heard this uh, tons of times, that you know, voting third party is a waste. And, you know, if you vote for this guy, it's really vote for that guy and vice versa. Why should Americans start looking at, say, independence or a third party in general?
1: You know, other countries have um, various parties, many parties, and it works really well. I believe you have a diversity of thought and, and, and our democracy, I believe, would thrive much better if we had uh, more than just two parties. Um, and you know, and our nation has elected independent and third party presidential candidates in the past. And so while it's not, uh, the easiest thing to do, it's not impossible. And this year, uh, the number one argument is that this year is actually the best year for us to do it. Contrary to popular belief. You got a lot of people who say, well, well, Adrian, you know, we love what you and Mark are saying, but, uh, we just, it's just too important that we get president Trump out of office this year. You know, we just can't risk. Uh, throwing away our vote on a third party on an independent candidate. And it's just not true. Um, and in fact if we could could debunk that and get people to, to really listen and wake up to not only the fact that Joe Biden isn't going to be much better than Donald Trump when it comes to uh, fixing and changing the issues that we're, that we're faced with uh, across this nation uh, so that's number one. But then number two is that truly we can win this race. Even though the the, the majority of our, our, our campaign across the, the uh, states is going to be right in, but we we have mounted a virtual campaign uh, since the pandemic hit, uh, and we have still been able to to gain access to ballots that would have been um, impossible uh, otherwise. It, you know the, the 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 hindrances and and the barriers that are placed on gaining access to balance across this nation is intentional, and so uh, we have to make sure that we wake up Americans to to even that that democracy is being, uh, uh, hindered just by keeping other voices at, uh, out of the room and off from the table. It's the reason why Mark decided to run as an independent in the first place, because he wanted to still be in the race with 53 days to go to election day. You know, we had the most, uh, diverse field, uh, in history last year in the democratic party, you know, six people of color, six women, um, Folks from the LGBTQ community, and we still ended up with uh, two rich white men uh, mm-hmm. who aren't that different. That their policies are not going to bring foundational change, uh, as Mark likes to say. Um, you know, it's from it's the explicit versus the implicit. You know, the and, and the fact is, is only old white men who. Uh, own own land can look on the past with some sense of nostalgia. Um, When people say, well, let's make America great again or let's restore the soul of this nation. What soul are we restoring? This nation has never been a just nation. And it's time that as we progress and move forward to finally make it a nation where we the people truly means all the people.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, Next thing I want to talk about, is, and just to let you you know, Adrian, it's definitely an honor to have you on here. and you always get a fair shot with me, but I'd like to know about the mainstream media. Have they been giving you a a fair shot?
1: Yeah, no, you know, and and that just goes to show that uh, the mainstream media is owned by the billionaire class, and they're either on the left or the right, that they don't want to see uh, somebody with our message uh, gaining traction, um, winning, certainly not winning, the White House, and being able to go in and create this foundational change that we're we're talking about and that we're seeking. um, that, That... The oppressed uh, have been oppressed for years, but certainly those in power, uh, any bit of power that they might give up, then they would feel oppressed. And so certainly they don't want uh, us getting media coverage, they don't want our message going out. I mean, I still meet people in my own city uh, that now that I'm the vice presidential candidate nominee, um, they're like, oh, well, I didn't know you were doing that. Oh, I didn't know that uh, I hadn't heard of Mark, you know, and it's, it's of course, because that was intentional. It's the way the system wants it. And so we're working hard to not only gain uh, ballot access across the nation, but also to get out our message. And so I appreciate you and your show and uh, everything that you're doing to help us get that message out uh, and allow the voters to, to, to make their decision, uh, understanding that it's not just between uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And uh, and, and my hope is, is that uh, we can gain enough traction. This is, the, the, again, the, the point I was gonna make, this is the only year where we believe that, that doing interviews like these and, 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 and capitalizing on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter can truly be uh, 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 grassroots enough and mobilized to, to, to mount the, uh, type, this type of campaign that, that we're running. I mean, you know, the hundred thousand dollars or so that we that we've been able to raise versus the hundreds of millions of dollars. That the main two party candidates are, are, are have and, and are spending, uh, it's just you know um, this is the only year that that could have happened, and so I'm grateful for for again the opportunity to come come on the show and, and share our message, and uh, and certainly you know anything that we can do to help you, we we would be here for you. Well, I would challenge them to to run on a platform for all the people. Um, I would challenge each and every policy statement that they would make. I would challenge uh, the, their stances on the defense and the economy and healthcare and the handling of the pandemic um, because they don't have a, a platform where we the people means all the people. They don't have a platform uh, that they truly value all life, uh, neither the, the democratic, candidates or the uh, Republican candidates. And so I would challenge them on every piece of their policy platforms. And uh, they would have no rebuttal. Because once you get down to the the facts of history, when you get down to the issues of the doctrine of discovery and and, and the the plight of, of Black America, the plight of Latino America, Indigenous America, There's no, there's no argument. It would certainly welcome the day that, they, that we would have an opportunity to, to to put our platform up on a debate stage against theirs. Well, you know, um, I think a common misconception would be that we're running a spoiler campaign, that we are just trying to maybe upset the, the election that we know we don't have a chance of winning or um, that we're intentionally hurting Joe Biden so that Donald Trump will win re-election. And it's just not true. Um, Again, as I just said a minute ago, this is the first time that Gen Z and millennials were gonna be such a large part of our voting block. The first time um, that uh, people of color are gonna be such a large uh, percentage of voters. And it's the the last time that we're gonna be able to mount a social media campaign, uh, largely social media campaign, that um that would be run on the percentage of the dollars that we would need uh in the future and so we believe that now is the time and now is the time that we can truly win and so i believe that's probably the number one misconception that we don't have a true first of all path to the white house but then also a true desire or belief that we can get there we do and we're going to do it
0: got it okay Uh, We've definitely talked about a lot tonight. Is there anything specific or anything else you'd like to add that maybe we didn't talk about?
1: No, I was just going to ask you. I was going to turn to ask you some questions now. (laughs) Oh,
0: me? (laughs) When are you running for office? Me? Well, you know, I I am 35, so technically I I could run for president one day. (laughs) I'm 39. Maybe I can run in uh, four years from now. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go.
1: A- after the uh, Charles Wallace administration, we we'd love to have you.
0: <laughs> I guess I guess that would put me in a uh, getting knocking on the door of my fifties. At that point, you know, because I'm sure you, if you you know get elected and then get reelect you know, want to get reelected. So I guess I'll be close. Maybe I'll be ready then. Let <laughs> I me. Mean, well,
1: yeah, I, no, man. I I I think we covered. Everything. I I really appreciate you and the opportunity uh, to come
0: and come and share our platform. Oh, no. Like I said, it's it's, it's been great. Um, Definitely want to make sure, you know, you you will get an um, equal opportunity to share your thoughts on things. And that's that's what we've been working on my